0: Uh, we're gonna go to Second uh, Peter 3. three, Second Peter three, and I'm not gonna do a lot of uh, reading today. I'm just gonna focus on two verses, honestly. So uh, this is gonna be very different. And and of course I say that, and then we'll see how it goes. But um, but my main focus today is two verses. And uh, and I'm not what I'm not gonna do today. I will do this coming up is talk about the whole. Um, topic that peter is actually talking about which is the second coming we're going to spend a week on that coming up real soon in fact easter will be heavy on that but um thank you kyle but um anyway what i want to do though is focus on a little um rabbit kind of that peter chases in the middle of talking about the second coming of jesus and it's amazing and so this has been just just uh really messing with me in a good way over the past couple of weeks and um and I sent a message to the group, if, you're, if you come on Tuesday nights, um, we have a little group chat for people who are here on Tuesday nights, and I sent a message to this group. I actually did this whole sermon not knowing, or I guess I knew, I just didn't even think about that it was time change today. So um, so for you guys, I'm going to say that was planned, but, um, but for me, it absolutely was not planned. So just a cool little thing the Lord did. So anyway, I'm going to start, I'm going to read some stuff I've been writing, and then we'll go to Second uh, Peter Chapter 3. Okay. Time, the idea of time, is the primary measurement of progress today, just in general. We don't judge things by their health. We really judge things and their health by time. And we'll talk about this a little bit. So we judge the value of a life by time. We judge where we should be in life by time. And we primarily determine whether or not God is faithful in doing what he says by time. As if we humans should be the judge of God's faithfulness. You know what I'm saying? Like, man, God's just really taking his time. Who am I to say when God's supposed to act? You know what I'm saying? Um, While I don't believe raw, and that's a huge bunch of stars beside that, raw time is evil, in that it has the ability to track precise history. I do believe that we've made time into a God of sorts, that we unknowingly worship and, yes, sacrifice to. How many people have thrown away or sacrificed their purpose because the Gregorian calendar says it's taking too long? That's just our calendar. Okay, that's, you know, some of you are like, what how many, how many people, some of you might be in this room, how many people have thrown away your purpose because it took too long? And so you settled for doing something other than what you were designed to do because it was quick. Okay, so the fact that none of y'all are saying amen tells me there's a lot of y'all in the room, so that's okay. Thank you. Our goals are rooted in time. All of our goals are rooted in time. Our mission is rooted in time, not our here, but in general. Our eschatology, which is the theology of, of the end, how things play out in the end, our eschatology is rooted in time, and our kingdoms are rooted in time. But there's one problem to this, and I know I tend to try to undo decades of wrong theology in one week. I typically try to do that. But this is something that must be rediscovered if we're going to see anything in the kingdom correctly. Okay? Listen to this, Yahweh did not create the calendar or the clock, and He sure didn't create man and say, "Here's a calendar and a clock, have fun." Man, y'all, why? I mean, I know y'all was tired today, but come on, this ain't bad stuff. He didn't create Adam and say, "All right, here's your calendar, here's your clock, have fun." No. Man was designed to live in the eternal day seven of rest that I'm calling living in timelessness. That's what we're going to use today, that phrase, timelessness. The day, day seven was the only day that doesn't end in, there was evening, morning, day seven, as if it was the end, okay? Day seven in creation is the only day that there's, it doesn't have an end. The Bible doesn't describe it on purpose, okay? Okay. Um, And Matt, I think, I don't know if you're going to talk a lot about days and times and all that stuff next week. Are you planning on it? Not really. Um, But uh, we might get into some of that today because it, it really has a lot to do with all this. But anyway, hang with me. So the first calendar, similar to ours, was created by Julius Caesar around 45 B.C., which after the Old Testament was completed, by the way. While evidence suggests that man had ways of tracking time because of the festivals and the years and different things in the Old Testament. Um, had, while there's evidence that men had ways of tracking time that goes back thousands of years, the point is, is that time, as we see it today, is a man-made way of thinking. Though, as I said, this is great in the right context, it has never, never meant to be served. It was never meant to be served. In fact, the distinct difference between this creation and redeemed new creation that is to come is a replacement of time with eternity. That is the distinct difference between where we are now and when Jesus comes back, brings his kingdom with him, and establishes new creation. The difference is is we're living in a... um, And as Christians, I would maybe argue we shouldn't be, but we're living in a time dimension... And when he comes, he's bringing eternity with him. So all of a sudden, the fact that it's 1050 will be completely irrelevant in the new creation. In its correct sense, time was meant to be leveraged by man as a tool for stewarding both creation and man's relationship with Yahweh. It was God's rhythm in the cosmos. But over time, especially in the West, time became an equation that had a perfect outcome, and anything else was wrong. For us, time, in a sense, is a 2 plus 2 equals 4 equation. And if you get 2 plus 2 equals 5, it's wrong. Now, here's what I mean by that. What I mean is, is we have when the Lord speaks something to us, let's just say, for example, we have in our mind how long that should take. He didn't tell us how long it should take. He didn't tell us it might even happen in 10 generations. Didn't tell us. But when he speaks something to us, we have in our mind how long things are going to take. So all of a sudden, we put an equation before God. And if the output of that equation becomes something other than what we know it should be, we start throwing the whole thing away as wrong because it's not fitting in our equation. Right? So the argument, here we go. The argument today is that was Genesis, the account of Genesis 1, was that a 24-hour day or was it multiple thousands of years in days? Who cares? Literally, who cares? Who cares? When that was written, they weren't even thinking about 24-hour days or 10,000 days. The the one, two, three-day age, if you will, was written as a poetic piece to point toward man and Sabbath. That's what Genesis 1 is. But we sit around focusing, like, was it 24 hours? And if it's not 24 hours, then I don't believe it, and science must be wrong. This is what we do in the West. Right, While the early church was getting their own pillars of fire and tongues dancing on their head, we're arguing back and forth on how long things are taking. So that's the difference between our culture and the early church culture, which is why I'm not in a hurry. Check, whoo, there it is. Can you just crank this up on the live stream, the like channel, because I don't think it's very loud, yeah. Devil, you're a liar, and I hate you. And just for that, I'm going to chase every rabbit today, so here we go. Just for that, I was going to hold back a little bit, and now I'm not. Thank you, devil. Um, So y'all just better buckle up. I hope you ate, ate your Wheaties today. I might throw in the rapture here and there. (laughs) <laughs> or lack thereof, um, today, is it pretty cranking in the live stream? Thank you. All right, so today I want to take a perspective of eternity and see if we can recapture what we were made for. Timing is relative, okay? Timing, the idea of things being on time, is relative to individuals. So what I think might take a long time, you might think, doesn't take that long at all. Very relative, okay? Who you are, what your experiences are or have been, and your level of trust in God will always determine what you see as on time. And I, I, I highly dislike the phrase that we used to shout with growing up. And uh, in church, somebody used to say this and the whole church would, would start sh- like shouting and, you know, like the presence of God fell. And this was the phrase, he might be late, but he's always on time. And you think, I mean, you think the Lord just came back, right? He he might be late, but he's always on time, brother. And um, just got to throw that in just for old, old school sake. That's how I grew up. And, and while I agree that he is always on time, I do not agree with our assessment of late. He might be late according to who? Uh, right? He, he might not show up when he might not show up when you want him. Good. What my call anyway? but, he, but he's always on time. So, what we do is, is we use stuff like this to try to get us to, to anchor down and hold through the storm because at some point it's going to get better. Like, he might not come, he might be late. So, just hang in there, but he's coming. And what I would say is, is, we need a redefining of what we see as late. There is a difference in you cruise controlling it until things get better and living life to the full no matter what's going on. There's a drastic difference. So if I'm sitting back waiting for things to get better, I might be waiting my whole life. Maybe the Lord's trying to teach me to have joy in the valley of the shadow of death. And I would even argue that it's not joy if the only time you feel it is when things are great. That's not joy. Joy isn't determined, determined by your, um, your, your circumstance. That's a really, really hot word right now. Joy isn't determined by what you're going through. If it is, it's not joy. Now, uh, yeah, I'm a lot happier if I got a million dollars in my pocket, which I've never had, but one day, maybe, right? I'm a a lot happier. But I've got just as much joy now without a million dollars in my pocket as I would with a million dollars in my pocket. You see what I'm saying? So it's not determined by what I'm walking through. It's determined by he who is in me being greater than he who is in the world. So I want to take a perspective of eternity today. And see if we can recapture some of this stuff. If I feel like he's late. It is not a question. that, It's not a situation where I begin to question him. If I feel like he's late on something. That is not an invitation for me to start questioning his faithfulness. Which we do. That is an invitation. It should be. For me to inherit a new view of time. And I'm say, I'm saying this as a 29-year-old. I people ask me, I've been waiting for that year 30 since we started this church. Because if you tell how old are you? 29. You started a church, but somehow when you're 30, it's good. And um, you know what I mean? It's like, oh, praise the Lord, brother. And so um, so anyway, so I've been so now ever since this year flipped over, I'm like, I'm almost 30. And uh, but I'm 29 until literally the end of the year. But um so I'm 29, so I'm, I'm giving, just a caveat, I'm giving you this message as somebody who is, who is for the most part, young. So this isn't, this isn't an older person saying like, hey, I've walked through this, you need to chill out and let the Lord do his thing. I'm talking as somebody who is with you, who is young, who hasn't seen the fulfillment of everything the Lord has promised me. I've only seen a handful of fulfillments of the things the Lord has promised me. Right. So I'm coming I'm coming at this from the perspective of this is something the Lord is shifting in me and hopefully he's shifting in us so that we can begin to see things before before we reach their fulfillment, because there's a lot of things on the path that if you miss, you'll never see the fulfillment. There's a lot of things you have to learn on the way that are actually going to be the things that push you into the fulfillment. That if you don't learn along the way, you'll completely miss what fulfillment looks like. Let me say this. When the Lord called us to start a church years ago, six years ago, I don't know, five years ago, however long it was, my idea of success back then was, and I share this all the time, was this building being packed by year three. If that. That was my view of success back then. Now, this room is not packed today, mostly because a lot of our people are in spring break, but it's a good analogy. Our room's not packed today. And yet, I feel like we're closer than we've ever been to what the Lord has actually called us to. Which, along the way, I learned was not a packed building. It was His feet. And also what I've learned is the closer you get to His feet, the more empty the building becomes. So, if I'm not allowing the Lord to shift things in me along the way, we might be in the fulfillment of every promise he's ever given me right now. But if I'm looking for a full building to be the equation that equals promise fulfilled, I'm completely missing what he was actually saying now. Y'all see what I'm saying? Our time is, is shifty. Therefore, We need a total reformation of how we as believers view time. If we try and fit an eternal God into man's 24-hour schedule, it will 100% of the time end in disappointment. Every time. Because it's much easier and requires zero obedience, we are constantly trying to force God's promise into our man-made framework. It should come as no surprise that those who do this, and I have done this, typically trust God for nothing since they see Him as always failing on His word when He was really failing on their clock. I told y'all, 2021, we're going to taste and see. A, A lot of... We A lot of people have no trust for the Lord because they say, you know, I prayed for this and it didn't happen. Says who? It didn't happen on your time. Maybe that's the point. Maybe the Lord's trying to get you to trust him despite how long things are taking. Because going back to the joy thing, if you only trust him when he does stuff when you want him to, you don't trust him. This should be encouraging. <laughs> um, so y'all just, you know. How, how many have said, and I've, I've said this, how many have said, I prayed and it didn't happen? How many of you, speaking in past tense, we're all alive in this room. We're all alive. So how many of us have prayed, still living and breathing? Most people in this room under the age of 40, I prayed for that and it didn't happen. I've done that recently. At what point? At what point in time does it become a prayer God didn't answer? Is it a week? Is it a year? Is it ten years? I mean, at what point does it become a situation where He didn't answer? Is it a day? Right let me give you this example. Jesus prayed, and I mentioned this last week, I think. Jesus prayed for God's kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. This is the Lord's Prayer. He prayed God's kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven, and he prayed that 2,000 years ago. This is when he prayed that, 2,000 years ago. Let me ask you this question. Did God not answer his prayer? Because his kingdom has not come on earth as it is in heaven yet, and it's been 2,000 years. We've seen glimpses, and I believe we're seeing greater glimpses today than we ever have. But it hasn't done that. The earth hasn't been full of the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. It hasn't done that yet. So, if we're going by how we view God's faithfulness, Jesus must have either lost his mind, or God must have said, I don't want to answer that prayer. But but at what point do we say he didn't answer Because if Jesus comes back 10,000 years from now, okay, that means when he comes back, he's bringing his kingdom, and on earth as it is is in heaven will be completely fulfilled, okay? When he comes back, let's say it's 10,000 years from now, that will be 12,000 years from the time he prayed that prayer to the time it was fulfilled. Would we at that point say the Lord did not answer that? Of course not, because his kingdom's come and his will has been done on earth as it is in heaven. Right? So, so a lot of us today have counted God out because it's taken whatever time we think is too late. Some of us have believed God let us down because our timer ran out. And I'm here to tell you today, God does not move off of time. He moves when it's right. He does not move off of time. In fact, I really believe, and I am going to read this. I believe he doesn't care about time. He didn't give us a clock. He didn't give us a calendar. He's he's waiting. I think here is what I believe. I believe he wants today for his kingdom to come and will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. I believe he wants to pour that out today. What I also believe is that he loves us way too much to give us what we absolutely 1,000% are not ready for. So he's willing to wait 10,000 generations for the right generation to say, we're ready, pure and spotless bride to receive our groom before he sends Jesus. He's not waiting for a specific date on the calendar. He's waiting for a bride that is pure and spotless. He's waiting for the right moment. In your life, he's not waiting to give you whatever he told you when it's the right moment, okay? And I'm speaking about 99% of the time, unless he gave you a specific date. He's not waiting for, all right, on this date, I'm giving them that. He's saying, when they're ready, I'm giving them that. But because we have kicked and screamed, because our clock said the time's run out, we've disqualified ourselves from the very thing that would qualify us to receive what we've been waiting for. We've been kicking and screaming when all we needed to say was, I trust you, and maybe we would align ourselves to receive what we were designed to receive. It, it wasn't a, well, well, man, the clock's ticking. It was a, I'll sit at your feet if I never receive it. Those are the ones that begin to receive what they were called to receive. I feel this. I feel this. The current church model in general Is not based on what's orthodox. It's based on speed and momentum. The current church model is not based on the early church. It's based on speed and momentum. Ironically, the only way to measure momentum is when the source that is pushing that thing forward is removed. I said this Tuesday night, but let me just for the fun of it, let me give you this example. If I had Veda's stroller up here and I'm pushing the stroller, you wouldn't call that momentum because I'm pushing her stroller. Here's how you would have to judge momentum: is if I was pushing her stroller and shoved it and took my hands off of it, then you could begin to judge momentum. Right. And so today, everything we do is based on capturing momentum. And while we're so laser focused on speed and momentum, what we're telling the Lord is to remove his hands off of it. And what we're also saying is that, because what happens in momentum? Eventually it stops. So, so we're praying for fire and blazing and, and standing on our heads and all that other stuff. But what we're actually saying is, Lord, take your hands off because we know how to do this better. And when we put our hands on it, we suddenly have to start capturing some type of energy that we can create called momentum. Because the one who was pushing us forward before has now been removed. So it's not momentum. We do not need momentum. And, And let me just encourage you. We talked about voices last week any voice any voice that says anything about christianity being about momentum you need to run in the other opposite in the opposite direction this ain't about momentum this is about longevity it's not about momentum It's about longevity. And the only way this lasts a hundred generations from now is if we stop saying, push us forward and fast, as fast as we can go, and instead start saying, align us to be in the right posture so that our kids can be in the right posture, so that our grandkids can be in the right posture, so that we can receive not just fire dancing on our heads, but our bridegroom. So I'm looking forward to to the coming of Jesus more than anybody on earth. I believe the way we're going to see that, though, is not by speed. We're going to see that through consistency and order. It's not popular because we love speed. Go, 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 go. And while we're doing that, he's way back there saying, I wasn't ready for you to go yet. You don't even know who you are. Maybe, maybe we've had to start striving for momentum because the one pushing us forward took his hands off of it. Uh, We And I said this last week, we would rather have speed and settle for something insufficient than patience and glory. We would rather have something fast and wrong, fast and wrong than slow and right. And because of that, because of that, we've gotten into things way too fast. And because we've gotten into things way too fast, we've had to settle for a minute, often false version of the kingdom than the real thing that only comes by one way, which is timelessness or eternity. I have the grace... To remain for the most excellent way when I take my worship off of the clock and onto the one who is so faithful that David says in Psalm 37 I have never seen the righteous forsaken. David in Psalm 37 says, I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging for bread. That that's who we serve. It, his faithfulness is not in question, and yet we question his faithfulness all the time. Our clock is one thousand percent up for debate, and that's the thing we call infallible, perfect. Second Peter. Second Peter. Did I say Second Peter three? I meant Second Peter. Uh, Oh, yeah, 3. I wrote it wrong. Okay. 2 Peter 3, and I'm going to read verse 8 and 9. 2 Peter 3, 8 and 9. I want you to hear this. Do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. Now, listen to this verse right here. This might be one of my new favorite verses of all time. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some of you understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. One in a thousand are metaphoric to say that God is outside of time and therefore is in no rush or hurry to work. Time of fulfillment has nothing to do with an exact date and everything to do when the bride is ready, with when the bride is ready. And he's quoting Peter, is kind of semi-quoting, he's throwing kind of a a shout-out to Psalm 90 which reads very similar to this. Um, And I was going to read that, but if you want to go back and read that, David's writing the same thing uh, in a roundabout way. So he establishes, Peter, establishes God's lack of concern for time as we see it. So he's in a rush. And then he establishes why he's not concerned about time as we see it. And this is what he says. He says that the Lord is not slow but he's patient. He's not slow, but he's patient. Understanding these ideas will save us from a ton of heartbreak later. Slow is judged by time. If I say something is slow, my measurement for describing that thing is slow is time. So if I told you to be here at 10 and you showed up at 11, I would say, why were you so slow? Or why were you so late? Okay? It carries with it, the idea of something being slow carries with it an apathetic and lazy energy. So if I tell you you're slow, I'm really hinting at your laziness. Right? If I say, man, you're slow, what I'm saying is, is like... Wake up. Let's go. I'm hinting at you being lazy. So when we describe the Lord as slow, what we're really saying is he don't care. Y'all with me? I know y'all are tired, so I understand. Patience, Patience, however, carries a precise, purposeful energy. So you're not taking your time in patience because you're lazy and don't care you're waiting for the right moment because you do care so slowness is determined by a measurement of time patience is determined by a measurement of purpose thank you Tim tough crowd you know um what movie is that from michael uh no what movie is that from tough crowd tough crowd uh, the Grinch. The Grinch. That's what it is. Did you say The Grinch? Yeah. The Grinch. The old school one. I guess the medium school one. There was like the cartoon one and then the one with Jim Carrey and then the new one that's not good. Um, but Veda likes it. Eternity. Eternity is full of the essence of patience. Listen to this. I'm almost done. I really am. <laughs> Tom. Time has no capacity for patience. The idea of time has no capacity for patience because patience cannot be measured by time. Operating in true patience and seeing God's patience has to be preceded by a level of eternal rest that one has started to trust and live in. I don't believe... That you can see true purpose until you stop watching the clock. I, mean, I don't believe that any of us can see God's true purpose in anything until we stop watching the clock. Let me um, let me let me just read this real quick. Tuesday night, I began to we were we were just praying and worshiping and. Um, it was really cool, but I began to hear, and I shared this with a little bit with you guys Monday night, but uh, just since we got some time, just, just a couple of verses. But we, um, I just began to hear this whisper about day four. So we're in year four as a church, and, um, and I went back and started to see a pattern, if you will, of, of creation in the Genesis story and then in the Noah story. And again, I don't know if you're going to talk about any of this stuff. But, but the story of Genesis and the story of the flood and Noah are identical. So go back and read them. That's all I'm going to say. Um, but let me, ju- let me just read this, okay? A couple of things to note. This is in Genesis 1. That, like I said earlier, when the writer of Genesis, which you know most believe is Moses. But uh, again, I personally don't think it matters either. But when the writer of Genesis is writing this. He is not writing us, or the Israelites originally, to tell them what God did in seven 24-hour days. He's really not even telling them the creation story in a raw form. He's using the creation story to push them to the reality of rest. Okay? Well, Josh, how do you get that? Because this is what the Jews believe. Okay? We in the West don't believe that because we don't know what rest is. We sure, we sure don't know what rest is. In the East, you got people who serve other gods, whose work will close down multiple times a day so that they can go pray to those false gods. All over Iraq, you get people do this all the time. In America, we have a hard time getting people to show up to church because they got to work. Why do I say stuff that gets me in trouble? I don't know. Genesis 1. But somebody's got to, you know. I feel like half the time I'm a I'm Isaiah in the temple. He sees the train of the robe fill the temple, and he says, "Who will go for us?" And Isaiah's like, "Me, I'll go." You know. Sometimes I honestly feel like that. So I'm like, "Where is everybody else? My brothers and sisters, where are you?" But here I am. Send me. They can hate me. Don't care. But uh, sometimes I'm because of that. I'm the one that delivers all the all the orthodox stuff that sounds wrong. So. In Genesis 1, it says this. Let me just read this, because I believe what we're in as a church is a metaphoric day four. We're in year four. This is what it says. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty. Darkness over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. Day one, separation of light and darkness. God saw the light was good, He separated the light from the darkness. He called the light day the darkness night and there was evening and morning the first day. Matt does a great podcast on this, talks about the fact that it points out there was evening and morning the first day, not morning and evening. So their day begins in rest. So you, you see you see where this is headed, okay? There was evening, morning the first day. Verse 6, and God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate the water from the water. So God made the vault and separated the water uh, under the vault and the water above the vault, and it was so God called the vault sky, and there was evening, and there was morning, the second day, the atmosphere. Let's say he creates an atmosphere. Verse 9, and God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear, which is where man would live. So he creates now a habitation for man, And it was so God called the ground land and gathered the waters and he called them the seas. And God saw that it was good. And then God said, let the land produce vegetation. So habitation for man, now fruit for man to survive on. Let the land produce vegetation, seeds, plants, various kinds. The land produced it. God saw that it was good evening, morning, day, uh, the third day. Now listen to this. And God said, let there be lights. This is the fourth day. This is where I believe we are. And this is why it ties into the time thing. So I'm going to just hang with me for a second. Let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day and the night. And let them serve as signs to mark. Now, here comes the time idea. Let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years. Okay. And let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light to the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater to govern the day, the lesser to govern the night. And he also made stars. That word stars could be translated in many different ways, including princes. So he made the stars. Now listen to what it says about the stars here. God set them in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. To govern the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. There was evening, morning, the fourth day. And then on day five, he creates birds and uh, sea animals to govern the sea and the sky. And then day six, he creates animals and man to govern everything else. And then it points to day seven, which is Sabbath. Now, the Jews believed... That the Sabbath, I'm going to steal this from a guy, Professor N.T. Wright, that the Sabbath was a a shadow of eternity. So when you lived on the Sabbath, or when you you honored the Sabbath, when you uh, uh, celebrated the Sabbath, that's what I was looking for. When you celebrate the Sabbath, there's all these rules in the Old Testament about, you know, you can't do this on the Sabbath. You basically can't do anything except just rest on the Sabbath. Now, the reason there's all those rules is not because it's to be legalistic and you got to check off all the boxes, but because man has such an issue resting that there had to be a guideline on how to rest. You see that? You can't do this on the Sabbath. You can't do this on the Sabbath. Why? Because if we didn't throw this in there, you would do all this stuff and not rest on the Sabbath. So the the Sabbath, though, is the day that begins the week— Okay, that comes, it ends the week, but it also begins the week, coming up. And it begins us and ends us in our weeks in a place where we trust what God can give us and do for us is much greater than what I can do for myself. That's what the Sabbath is. God rested on the seventh day, and then man was called to live in an eternal rest with God. Hebrews talks about this being an eternal rest now. It's not just a day, it's a lifestyle, okay? Why is this so important? Because when we begin to live in the lifestyle of rest, knowing that he gives good gifts, that I don't earn good gifts, that the only way I taste and see that he is good is by living in a posture with open hands, ready to receive. If I'm living then, all of a sudden time is, starts to become irrelevant because everything good in life is coming from the hand of the one who knows when to give the good gifts that he himself is giving to his people. So if I live in rest or trust, all of a sudden I posture myself to receive what I cannot receive apart from rest and trust. It's so important that not only is it a command for man, it's so important that it, there's even a, um, a, a, a year, a Sabbath rest year for the land. It's so important, the idea of rest, that it's not only a command given to man, it's a command giving, given for the land that man dwells in. And I wonder if the past year we've not been in a land at rest. Or people at rest. And what did we do? And I've said this because I, I did this. So this is just conviction for me. But what have we done this whole year? Kicked and screamed and told this, told God this was the worst. And when are we getting out of this? And and we should be doing church no matter what. And we did for the most part. But that's all we've done. just Kicked and screamed and complained and shouted and hated and cried. And that's it. This is how much we can't do rest. And I'm saying this to me. I had 10 days in quarantine, and by day three, I was losing my mind. I I literally was going insane. You can ask Jordan. I'd call her at night. I think it was day three. I called her, and I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm literally losing it. I'm losing it, right, which is convicting for me because what I should have done was said, praise the Lord, here's 10 days where I can rest. But because rest is so foreign to us, you get three days into rest. I mean, think about this. Quarantine, you can't do anything. It's not like you have to make the choice. You literally can't. So somebody is saying, here's 10 days for you to do nothing. And we start losing it. this, This is how our brains have been fried. We've been so processed through a system of doing, 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 that when the lights are shut off, we start getting chaotic. And I'm not just talking about COVID or, you know, the past year, because we're almost through all this stuff. What I'm talking about is like our lives and how we trust the Lord and how we see his faithfulness and how we see all the stuff that we have talked about for three years now. None of that stuff matters if we don't live in a life where the clock and time is irrelevant for us. Because the Lord has probably called some of you, has definitely called some of you to great things, amazing things, world-shifting things that you'll never taste and see unless you learn what it means to be fascinated with Him even if... Creation is not a story of what happened on certain days, but it's God's design for his creation, for his image bearers. And I believe where we are prophetically, and then I'm going to wrap it up, but I believe where we are is in a day four reality, where the Lord has sent us through a season of separating light from the darkness. When we first started this church, and I'm not saying... You know, I'm not saying anything about anybody else, but but Colombia is a very gray area. Let's just say that religiously, very gray. And so I believe, and not just Colombia, I mean just America in general. But we, um, so when we started the church, you just had this feeling that the Lord was starting to separate the gray between dark and light. So day one, year one, let's say. Then year two, God creates an atmosphere. And I believe once we kind of got an idea of what light was and dark was, it started to create an atmosphere to dwell in. And then day three, there's habitation land that comes out of the water and fruits and vegetables and seed bearing plants for longevity for you to live off of. And what we went through all of last year was God creating not just an atmosphere, but a habitation for us to dwell in for the long haul. But where we are now, I believe, is the Lord is starting to take some people who have been faithful and remain rooted. Maybe not even here, but maybe you lived a life and you ended up here where you have been faithful You have been rooted in the secret place. There's people watching online that have never been in this building. You've been tracking with us for three years. That you've been rooted. You've stayed consistent. And all of a sudden, what he's doing with us and a lot of other pockets of light around America and the world is he's starting to take metaphoric, if you will, or the other translation of this, princes and princesses placing them in a place of governing where we begin to govern the creation that we were given anyway. This creation is ours. I mean, I know that's not popular. These glasses are killing me. I know that's not popular, but creation is ours. God created everything, and then he told Adam and Eve, his image bearers, to be fruitful, multiply, and subdue the earth. And then after the flood of Noah, he tells Noah the same thing. So the creation is ours. What we have seen is creation stolen by an enemy who is a pipsqueak, who is absolutely worthless. That's who the devil is. He's not the big bag devil. He's the little ant devil that I'm going to step my foot on. That's who he is, right? That's who he should be to you. Don't fight the devil. Step on him. Don't swing a sword at the devil. Put your foot in his head. I'm serious. This 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 fires me up. Like, how, well, brother, how do you do spiritual warfare? I do it just like this. Move on. Right? Anxiety starts popping up. You know what I do? Not every time perfectly, but I do this right here. Just dig it in and keep moving on. That's why when my mic went out, I had three things. I didn't think I was going to hit today. We're going to hit them. Sorry, devil. So... um. <laughs> that's what I was just like doing when tom when tom gets redeemed in us we start to rejoice in him being patient rather than complaining that he is slow y'all hang with me i'm almost done i really am this is my last page when tom listen when tom gets redeemed in us we start to rejoice that he's being patient knowing that we're not ready yet, rather than complaining that he's slow, thinking we are ready for what we're not ready for. Anxiety falls, rest elevates, and joy fills everything we do, knowing it all has purpose in eternity. This is what Ecclesiastes says, 3.11. 3.11. He has made everything beautiful in its time. One more time. He, God, has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. This is very interesting. Just let me just chase it. This is one of the rabbits I wasn't going to chase. So here we go. This This is what Ecclesiastes says. No one can fathom what God has, past tense, done from beginning to end. Huh? How many of you, like, tomorrow for us hasn't happened yet. And yet Ecclesiastes talks about what God has done from beginning all the way to the end in past tense. And that was written before Jesus. He holds every one of your days, Psalm says, in his hand every one of your days was written in his book before one of them came to be every one of your days so for us to doubt the one that already has every one of your days written in his book is crazy i'm going to trust the one who knows what i'm going to face tomorrow rather than the one who don't have a clue but worries about it every day you you have purpose And you're going to do amazing things if that means being a mom, if that means being a dad, if that means being whatever. Because I believe those two things should be on top of everybody's list. That's what, what, what are you called to do? I'm called to be a superstar. I just know it. I feel it. I'm called to be famous. You can believe how many people send us an email, send me emails. Man, I just, I feel called to have like millions of people following me. What do you think I need to do? First thing, stop worrying about millions of people following you. But, um but none of us none of us sit around and say, well man, I just I feel called to be a great dad. <laughs> That's what we say, you know what I mean? Dad. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I feel called to to yeah, you know, be a CEO. Amazing. Amazing. But if your kids don't have a clue who Jesus is, who cares? Um but we we I'm called to be a dad. That's my call. As you ask me, Josh, what are you called to do? I'm called to sit at his feet, and I'm called to be a a dad. And me pastoring comes from me sitting at his feet and me being a dad. Right? I'm not going to be a pastor, and then they get the leftovers. I'm going to be a father, and you get the leftovers. And it ain't going to grow our church overnight. And it ain't even going to grow our church in 10 years. But what it's going to do is make sure Veda is still passionate about following the Lord and her kids passionate about following the Lord and maybe some of you following the Lord. And here's what it's also doing. Me and the Lord were having this conversation this morning. I was listening to a a, a podcast, and it was a conversation between two theologians. And they were talking about how to rest in their busy schedules. And uh, so I was like, well, this is really interesting. And, um, And I heard one of the conversations said, here's what I've done my whole life. I told my kids, he's got four kids, I guess. Um, on Saturday, each of you get one hour of my time with nothing else going on. And whatever you want to do in that hour, that's what we'll do. And they were talking about that, like, man, that's a great idea. Like, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, huh? An hour? What? But I guarantee you the standard for the people in the churches that they're leading are not an hour. It's every day, all day. But but again, because we've been so speed-focused and so momentum-focused, and so we've got to get it, 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 get it now, we have laid down the things we were actually called to do in the first place. We were never called to be fast. We were never called to be people who chase momentum. That's, that was never what we were called to do. It's not in Scripture. It's not in Orthodox teaching. It's not in the early church fathers' writings. It's nowhere. We made that up. We were never called to be people that were fast. We were called to be people who were aligned at his feet. Are are y'all getting some of this? Okay, because it's real easy. It's real easy to sit there and say, amen, easy. But when tomorrow morning hits, you've got a decision to make. And when this week hits, you've got decisions to make. Am I going to make decisions based on what's quick and what satisfies me in the moment? Hello, relationships. Or or am I going to put my aim on trust and believe that as I have my aim on trust, I'm going to inherit all the stuff that I've been praying and longing for? He said, ask and you shall receive. That's what he said. Half the people don't believe that because we didn't receive in 10 minutes. Well, brother, ask ask, and you shall receive. Let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Rabbit number two. Um, we have a lot of people we've been praying for healing over in this church. A lot of people. Some of those we've seen healed. Some of those we have not seen healed yet. Yet. Let me ask you something. When Jesus comes back. Now, to believe this, you've got to believe what the Bible teaches about when Jesus comes back. So, if, if you don't, then this isn't going to make any sense. But... When Jesus comes back, and there is a resurrection, bodily resurrection of the dead, amen, right? it's what we're about to celebrate, Easter. The church doesn't talk about resurrection for some reason today, but, but that's what's coming. It's resurrection. When resurrection happens, and we're all looking around at all the people who have been healed, transformed, that are walking, that have never walked, that are breathing, that have never breathed on their own, that aren't suffering from cancer, that aren't suffering from all this stuff, on that day, are we going to look around and say, boy, that took a long time? And I question, maybe some people would. Well, I feel like the ones that would say that probably wouldn't um, be resurrected. But anyway, uh, no, I'm just just joking, just joking, just joking, just joking, just joking. But... um, No, what we're going to do is we're going to sit around and we're going to say, praise the Lord, they're healed. Because in that day, time is going to be irrelevant. There won't be a memory of time. Right? Every prayer that you have prayed will come to pass. I can promise you that 1,000%. The Bible says it, and I believe it, and we will see it. Every prayer you've ever prayed will come to pass. It might not be in your timing. Thank the Lord. So, so if, if, you, if you've been praying, when Zechariah gets word that Elizabeth is going to have John the Baptist, do you know in the Aramaic what the angel tells Zechariah? The Lord has heard. In your Bible, most of yours, it says the Lord has heard your prayer. But in the Aramaic, what Jesus and the disciples spoke, it says the Lord has heard the prayer you don't even pray anymore. I mean, I, I feel that one every time, right? He, Zachariah, they, they had completely, they had been praying for a kid. Elizabeth was older. I mean, you, you can kind of point back to Abraham and the stories, but she was older. It had kind of seemed impossible. They had prayed about it earlier in life, but it was like, pff, we're old, too old for this now. I guess the Lord just didn't want to give us a kid. And the angel shows up and says, nope, the Lord wanted to give you a kid all along. But you weren't just going to give birth to a kid. You were going to give birth to the one who was going to make the announcement that the kingdom was here through the Messiah. And because of that, I needed to wait till this moment. Because Mary is pregnant. We'll be pregnant in six months with the son of God. Why am I saying this? We are called to give birth to world changing things. And because of that, Yahweh is very protective over when those things become pregnant within us. That's it. That was on my notes. Matt, go ahead and come up here. I, I've just I've felt this lately. I have felt this, and I have felt a freedom I've never felt before. Let me tell you this. We, we as a church, and if you've been here for a while, you know this. But we as a church, all we do is defeat Literally all we do is Jesus. And um and I was meeting with a group from USC a couple of weeks ago, and that's what they were, they were like, well, what are you guys about, Jesus? Yeah, I know. And I'm like, no, 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 you don't understand. Literally, that's the only thing we do is Jesus. And uh, and uh anyway, and you know, it's just crazy because you see the shock on people's face at first, and then it's like, hmm, yeah, that makes sense, you know. But um, but anyway, as we were uh talking through this stuff, I was like, no, you know, the crazy thing is, is this year, and you you wouldn't know it, obviously, today, because everybody's on spring break, but this year, really the past, in 2020, our church numerically has grown a lot. And, and I, one, I say that because before, we didn't have that many people, so it's not that hard to get it to grow a lot, but right, so we, I mean, technically when everybody's here, not on spring break, we have, like, tripled in size over last year. Right? And again, for us, That's easy. But why am I saying that? Because all of a sudden, what we find ourselves in, in alignment with the one thing, is receiving from the Lord a church that is being added to daily, if you will. That the early church did not sit around strategizing of how we could get people into this thing. They said to the people, Here's the standard the Lord has given us, and you can live in that standard. But we're not lowering this standard to try to reach the world. We're going to raise the world to the standard where his kingdom comes. The gospel is not cheap. Rabbit trail number three. The gospel is not cheap. We've made it cheap. We have lowered it down, and it's accessible to everyone but we've lowered the standard of what it means to be born again so cheap that people can come into this and be half-hearted and fully believe they're full in. We we did that. We created environments that bred apathy. It's bred, because all we did was the surface. And what does it say about seed that's thrown on ground that is on the surface? Is quickly snatched up. So we created environments that has bred apathy, that has bred intermarriage with the world and God, that has bred false gods coming into the environment called careers, called ministry, called the clock. I mean, this is this is what we've done. And then we wonder why people are just fleeing from the church. And what the Lord is calling us to back to is a place where we say time is now irrelevant in the midst of the one that is eternal let me ask you this moses goes to the mountain and he's receiving the torah and he's there's 40 days and 40 nights the bible does not talk about this so this is purely imagination i wonder if moses really felt like he was up there 40 days and 40 nights Think about this. The Israelites felt it, and later they're condemned that they didn't go up to the mountain too. Did you know? Did you know this? So in the account of Exodus nineteen, going into twenty, where they build the golden calf, all that stuff, Moses kind of marks around the mountain and says, "Don't go higher than this." But later on, later on, they're condemned that they weren't on the mountain with Moses hearing from the Lord. And it says that they didn't go up because they were afraid of the voice of the Lord. So they say to Moses, you go up instead, hear and receive from the Lord, and then come back and tell us what he says. And while he's up on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights, receiving the covenant, With Yahweh, the Creator God, with people who were jacked up. While he's receiving that covenant, they're down on the bottom of the mountain building up golden caps because it was taking him too long. Do y'all hear this? They say, We don't know what's happened to Moses, it's been 40 days. So instead, let's build a golden calf that we can pop out today and start worshiping it. While they're about to receive the covenant from God to be God's exclusive people in the earth, they settle for building golden calves because it was taking too long. And yet for Moses, I wonder, and again, this isn't in scripture. This is just me. I wonder if Moses really felt like he had been up there 40 days or if it felt like just a moment. With the Lord. Well, I, I don't know if he was eating. Doesn't talk about him taking food. Doesn't talk about him taking water. Maybe the Lord was feeding him. We don't know. Or could it be that in that moment, he entered a realm where time was irrelevant. And now, because he hadn't eaten in 40 days, it didn't matter, because all of a sudden, 40 days was a moment. I don't know. Maybe. A thousand, a thousand to the Lord is as one. So on the Lord's calendar, we're about two days into this. <laughs> right? Right? Man, the Lord. I mean, He's taking Him forever. Well, depends on who you're asking. But, but I, there, I'm saying all this. I, I don't want to ramble, but because I, I, y'all know I can. But I, I just um, I'm saying this because, and I like I, I reiterate stuff over and over because what I never want you to do is come in here to get a good pump up message. Because if you do that, you're going to be very. I hope you're very disappointed. If your purpose for coming here is to get a good hype up thing, I pray to the Lord you leave very disappointed. But if you come in here to receive the seed of what's gonna grow in your vineyard Monday through Saturday, then praise the Lord, let's go. And what I'm trying to give you today is the seeds of eternity for you to start planting in your life and start looking at all the things that you started doubting God on because it was taking a long time and let this seed grow up and see what he's actually doing in you because what he'll do in you is what he's done in me which is as you begin to wait on his patience all of a sudden you'll find what you used to want you don't even want anymore oh, man. i was talking to um my spiritual father this week, and we were joking but it was a legit thing. I told him, I said, you know, back when I uh, was a worship leader in front of thousands of people every week, um, I thought I was the stuff. I Man, I, I, like I, I, I thought I was just on top of the world because I was. I mean, and um, and I told him, I said, if if given the opportunity today, ten years ago, all I wanted was a record deal to be a famous musician. That's all I wanted. But if somebody walked in the doors of this church today and said, and I said this last week, but I I was telling him this, just talking through this, I'll give you $2 million to be a famous musician, but you've got to leave this behind. I wouldn't even pray about it. Because along the way, the Lord has surely, patiently, and consistently started tearing down the golden calves. And as he did that, I found myself no longer desiring what would bring me fame. And instead desiring making him famous in my own personal life. And as I begin to do that, you know what I've lost? Influence. And you know what I've cared less about? Influence. But what I have gained in the exchange of influence is a measure of presence that I truly believe whatever I ask, he'll answer. No doubt. I started walking around in the zoo. I started walking around the zoo and under my breath, <laughs> under my breath, saying, You're coming out. You're coming out of your bondage. We're walking by animals, and I'm saying, You're coming out of your bondage. I'm walking by trees. In our backyard, and I'm saying, you're coming out of your bondage. That's what Romans 8 says. It says that the creation is standing on tiptoe, waiting for the manifestation of the sons and daughters of Yahweh, so that with us, it could taste freedom from its decay. And so as I'm becoming free, I'm looking at all the creation. I'm saying, you're coming free too. We're going to the river. We're sitting by the water. And as the water splashes up against the stairs, I'm whispering, you're coming free. This is shifting the globe. Everyone else is looking for government. Everyone else is looking for politics. Everyone else is looking for momentum. But there's a group of people in South Carolina and groups of people all over America that have lost their taste for that stuff in the taste of the thing that we should have been tasting all along, which is the measure of presence that causes us to fall in love with an addiction of more and more and more and more and more. So I say this all the time. I am fully satisfied today, yet I am not satisfied at all. I'm satisfied where I am, but I refuse to stay where I am. And I'm not talking about growing things. I'm talking about growing myself and my identity. And in the process of growing myself and my identity and you growing in your identity and yourself, we're going to begin to find that people are drawn. I say this every week and I'll keep saying it until we believe it. That people are drawn to the light that's coming off of our life way more than the words we're screaming through a megaphone. I don't have to convince people that the presence of the Lord is in this place. If they walk in, they know it. If they encounter one of us, they should know it. So I'm going to pray, and then I just, we're just going to, we got time, it's 1150. So we're just going to take some time. uh, And if you want to come up and pray, do that. But I'm just going to ask the Lord to start to reshape Reshape how we view time or lack thereof. Lord, I I pray right now that you would just begin to move in this room, that you would move across this live stream, maybe a podcast if people are listening to this later, that you would just begin to move in us and move us to the place where trust is our number one, number one response to everything. It's our only response to everything. I don't have to understand because I trust. Pull us into an eternal time clock, an eternal understanding of how you move and work. In your name. Amen. We're just gonna, Matt's gonna play for a minute, and we're just gonna pray if you wanna come up and yes. Yeah, sure. Come on. I wish I could paint. No, you're good. It's
1: kind of crazy because I literally was like, God, I don't want to share. So if I have to share and make Josh say, you can come up and you did. <laughs> um, I painted this. Oh, thank you. Um, so hi, guys. I'm Rachel. <laughs> um, God has been really talking to me the past couple weeks. And if you know me, you don't, I don't really like sharing my artwork or writing. It's very personal to me, and I'm really nervous, so please forgive me. But um, he gave me a story. Uh, For a long time in my life, I embraced being a, I called myself a child of darkness because I was working like that. (laughs) And when I met the Lord, I just embraced the sun. So every morning, I go up, and I see the sun, and I just take it in and I got this story on my way to work um, this past week, so I'm just gonna read it, and it goes along with this painting. I walk in a garden that lays in the middle of a valley. The sun rises and there it twinkles in the between of the trees. The light catches me in a game of tag as I run upon the earth. It is the quiet of the morning with no words but the subtle song of the wind that softly moves the leaves of the trees in a dance. The sunlight finds me as the leaves move and I join them in their merry affair with a song. As I travel down to the center of the garden, I hear the whispers of a stream nearby. Gently, I lay down in the grass where the wildflowers grow and I lay still. I feel the warmth of the sun sink into my soul and there I hear the chorus of water and life all around me. I open my eyes and there I see in the sky the beauty of the day, the clouds floating above me and the whimsical display that reminded me of my childish dreams to fly. I sit up slowly and watch the wildflowers grow, flow with the wind. I grab some dandelions and there I saw the Lord. He was in the tree in front of me. The glory of the sun rested upon the breaks between the branches and there my God is waiting for me in the tree. I ran to him and he embraced me. I told him all about my journey in the valley garden and I asked him, Adonai, oh Adonai, I sing. yes my child. I want to fly up in your sky, way up high, Adonai. Oh, my child, you want to fly? Yes, oh, yes, Adonai, I want to fly. High in the sky to see creation come alive. I want to fly with you, Adonai. Stay close to me, I want to fly. God paused and looked at me in loving wonder and kissed me on the forehead. Fly, my child, don't be afraid to to the sky. You may touch this I created for you. Fly with me, Adonai, as I don't want to go without you by my side. And then God said, Take my hand if you trust me, with everything in your soul and heart. Take my hand if you love me, with everything in your soul and heart. Take my hand if you know me, with all of your soul and heart. Now take my hand if you're ready to fly with me. I take Adonai's hand, and we fly around the garden. We went high to the sky and sat upon the clouds, O oh, Adonai, it is written here in the sky. You heard my cry, and you let me fly, Adonai, O oh, Adonai.
0: That's great. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So good. The Lord has sent us some awesome artists and, I mean, honestly, prophetic voices, so um, thank you for